Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Wednesday, April 19th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here, located in the upper left-hand corner, It will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18 years now to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download from that page the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. You can click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. And also on that page, you can find a um, a list of recordings, a whole series of recordings of shows just like this one, where people have either called in and talked about the dynamics underlying this process and how it works, or they've actually been stepped through the worksheet process. And if you choose to listen to those, they can serve as a powerful tutorial for you to be able to get maximum benefit from these tools in the shortest period of time. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. 
And if you do that, before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you choose to tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the reality management worksheet. It contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of those things soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, we would feel grateful if you would do that. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. That is a... a benefit to us in several ways. One of them is it helps us live more easily into our intention to be a service. So um, just to call out a pattern that's happened for quite a few people is to wait until the last five or ten minutes of the show and then put your hand up. And if you have something to say or you'd like to ask a question, even if you're nervous about asking the question, um, the invitation is to do that earlier rather than later. Um, I have all kinds of things that have been bubbling in my head since the show yesterday and the support group last night and another podcast that I listened to, which was, um, I was alerted to it by one of my patients who was doing phenomenal work at recovering from a severely abusive childhood. And um, she was so moved by this podcast that she's now listened to it and taken notes five or six or more times. And it just published yesterday. It's the latest episode of the We Can Do Hard Things podcast by Glenn and Doyle. And she's on that, that podcast with her sister and her wife, Abby. So if you have any interest, if you know somebody who has been struggling with recovery, recovery from an addictive process, recovery from an abusive childhood, etc., that might be something they could get benefit from. And the other thing is, in in this uh, ebb and flow of life, I'm the year before last we read through the Course in Miracles lessons at the beginning of each show. Last year, many of the shows were consumed with simply reading and doing commentary on the way of mastery and reading all 35 lessons of that. And this year, I've made a commitment to do more worksheets or share worksheet processes that I've done between um, Internet shows. And um, 
And one of the things that I do as a um, something I volunteer my time for is the On Your Mind podcast. This is um, um, part of my um, accepting responsibility as a, a, a board member for the not-for-profit called Journey's Dream. And Journey's Dream is working to try and help rewrite the narrative on mental health to one in which optimal health and well-being are possible and expected. And one of the things that they asked me to do as I became a board member was do a podcast and a, and a weekly podcast to try and help share um, creative and non-medical, non, you know, things other than just taking medications for the symptom patterns that most people experience when they get the label of a psychiatric or a psychological disorder. And so it's been over three years now. There's um, The first two years, we almost made one every week on an average. And this third year, it's been quite a drought of um, getting people to sign up and get their interviews successfully recorded and then edited and published. And recently, there's been a flood. There's been a flurry. And last week, I had just uh, probably 20 different calls and emails going for four or five different potential podcast guests, interviewees. And that's just on top of my regular caseload and doing the Internet show and having two support groups that I donate my time to. So it was a very busy time. And in the middle of that, probably on a Wednesday, I received, I had sent one of these young women who was going to be interviewed. She's written a book. I'd sent her the Zoom login email information an email with all the Zoom login information on it for the interview, which is supposed to happen tomorrow. And that's usually all there is. And then the day of the interview, I get on the Zoom call, and they're either there or not, and we have the call, and we do the interview, and everything rolls fairly smoothly. Two days after I'd sent her that information, I received an email that said, can you send me a Google Calendar invite for this Zoom call? So here's a request for me to do some extra work. And then later that day, it, it just struck me as odd because I've been doing this for over three years now and no one's ever asked me to send them another, send them the invite in another format. But I had a patient call and said I'm going to be uh, half an hour late. And so I thought, well, um, let me see if I can 
accomplish this. I don't know how to do this. So I went on YouTube and I watched the video and I spent about 15 minutes working at it in order to decide that I can't do that. There's a problem with the way my website is set up with the Google email for my private domain and what shows up when I try to send or create a Google Calendar invite, it's got the wrong email on it. So it's in the middle of a busy day, my patient's in the waiting room, and I didn't want to leave her hanging, so I typed out a message to this person in an email that said, the short answer is no, and I'll be happy to discuss that with you when we talk on next week, on Thursday. And I sent it off, and I got back in the middle of my busy day. And sometime later, an email comes back with just the word odd, dot, dot, dot. And then something like, I guess I'll have to talk to you next week. And I generated a tremendous amount of negative responses to that. Tremendous amount. And so I did some tapping. I canceled goals. And later that day, I, you know, got past it before I sent her anything. And I was calm and professional in my response. And, uh, here we are almost a week later and I was thinking of it again and so I decided to do a worksheet on it and so the worksheet is I Tim who am love am feeling irritation and the dynamic is that someone asked me for a favor I tried to accommodate it I was unable to, and they told me it was odd that I that I couldn't do this favor for them. And the thought I was using to generate this is um, the irritation is no matter what I do, it's never enough. And the punishment thought was to just disappear you know cancel the interview or just not show up just ghost this person as they would talk about it today and my upset was probably about an eight out of ten when this happened my upset level to begin the worksheet so the worksheet then has me remind myself that all of these things that I do with my mind energy that generate negative emotions are inside me. They're self-generated. They're unique to me, and they're created out of my own thoughts. And whenever it's a negative emotion that gets generated, it's either because I'm choosing the wrong few bits of information to focus on or I'm choosing a negative interpretation to focus on when there's always a neutral or positive interpretation available. So I read all those parts of the 
the worksheet, and I get to the part where it asks me for my goal. And my goal is that people be satisfied and appreciate all that I'm doing. And then I get down to step five in the worksheet, and again it says, remember, anger, hostility, fear, all these things, they come from corrupt data, and they're made up of a tiny, tiny bit of everything that's going on, and they're the, the, the product of my choosing a negative interpretation or choosing the wrong thing to focus on. And if I just keep thinking the thoughts I'm thinking, I'm going to stay miserable. I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to do this thing that David Bohm calls sustained incoherence. I'm doing, going to do something that doesn't really make any sense, and then I'm going to keep doing it thinking maybe eventually it will make sense. And then I get to the part where I ask to be shown the hidden part of my mind. I, I ask some force outside my conscious logical mind. Because my conscious logical mind was spinning, thinking, you know, I know I'm right here. I'm, I'm, all of this is volunteer work on my part, and that's an unprofessional, you know, an immature thing to say to somebody after you've asked them for a favor, you know, to say, well, that's odd that you can't comply with the favor I asked of you. And, and my mind is churning with those thoughts, trying to convince me that the upset I'm experiencing in this moment or was experiencing at that time, is caused by this email that this other person sent or the way they're responding or how they're not, you know, professional or whatever it is. So I'm going to ask to step out of that conscious logical spin and ask to be shown something else, a different perspective, an insight, an intuition, a gift, a reframe, whatever you want to call it. And when I did that, I do it with the uh, forgiveness pattern, which is I make available on the mindshiftersacademy.org website on the page titled Educational Material. And I put my hand over my heart space, and I breathed, and I softened, and I asked to be shown the hidden part of my own mind that's actually creating this upset. I cancel my need to be right. I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself. I specifically cancel my goal in that worksheet and ask to be shown the hidden part of my own mind. And I breathed and I softened. And I was probably doing that breathing and softening and asking to be shown for a minute, minute and a half. And if you've ever done something like this, that can seem like a long time to be sitting, I sit with my hand over my heart space, I close my eyes, and I gently repeat, I cancel my need to be right, I cancel my need for anyone or anything to change, including myself, I specifically cancel my goal on this worksheet, I put my conscious logical mind on the shelf right now because it's chattering away and it wants to tell me all the ways that my upset is created by this other person and their unprofessionalism or their rudeness or their entitlement or whatever. I have all these words spinning in my head. I put all of that aside for now and I ask to be shown something that I can't see with my conscious logical mind as I sit here in my fully mature adult body 
with my psychology license on the bookshelf in my own office, and I breathe and I soften. And like I said, I stayed with it until it felt like I was spinning and going nowhere. And as I was just about to give up, I had a flash of a thought of myself in fourth grade. I was nine years old. And it just flooded in. I'm nine years old. I'm in fourth grade. I am, I I was at that time just a very soft, sensitive little boy. And all I wanted to do was make my parents happy. And all I wanted to do was make the teachers happy. And all I wanted to do was have more time to play. And yet, my responsibilities were I had to go to school. And in school, I had all of these homework assignments. And so after school, I would have this homework to do. And I was not good at homework. I wasn't bad at the school stuff, but all I wanted to do was play. So I got into a cycle where I wouldn't do my homework and I would lie to my parents and tell them that I didn't have any homework. And then when I got to school and the teacher would ask, did everybody do their homework? I'd say, yep, I did my homework. But I almost never did. And so um, it got to be this force of wills, a battle of wills, if you want to call it that, between me and the nun in the class. Sister Justin was her name. Bless her heart. Um, And since she's probably not um, 100 years old, she may not even be in the body anymore. But anyway, as soon as that happened and it flooded into my brain, I thought, oh my God, I had the feeling as a nine-year-old that it was torture for me to sit in the classroom all day. I was one of those daydreaming kids who would stare out the window. I would try to pay attention to the teacher, but my mind would go drifting away. And I would fight with myself to pay attention because I wanted good grades and I wanted to be able to please the teacher and please my parents. And so for me, at my level of experience, I was doing Herculean, heroic stuff just to be a good person and just to get my C's and B's in, in my classes. And it was never enough. Then they would send me home with homework. And this theme was, it's never enough. And I got it. The upset that I created, that I generated in response to this woman's email has nothing to do with her, has nothing to do with her professionalism, has nothing to do with this, you know, it's a different generation now, these 20-somethings or 30-somethings, they don't, has nothing to do with any of that. It all had to do with my mind said, oh my gosh, all of this is volunteer work on my part. I just, out of my busy day, made my day even busier by trying 
to do what she asked for another 15 minutes and learn a new skill, and it's never enough. And it flooded me with the same level of frustration and hurt and confusion and irritation that I had when I was nine years old in fourth grade. So I took a breath or two, and I felt the relief. I felt the, the, the logical pieces clicking into place, but even more important was the breathing was coming easier. The complete dissolution of the irritation and it became a very neutral event. As I look back on it, it's a very neutral event. And then I went through the rest of the worksheet process, and I asked to be shown a time when I hadn't fulfilled that goal and left that open. I had a couple realizations that there have probably been times when I've wanted something from somebody that, Either they couldn't give me or they didn't feel they had the energy to give me. And then I set the loving goal for myself to do another couple worksheets because that was a very big time in my life. I, I actually gave myself an ulcer at nine years old. And that was not common. Back then they called ulcers the uh, work, the businessman's disease. And it, it took quite a while for them to figure out how I, as a nine-year-old, could have an ulcer. But when it came out that I was creating all of this pain and fear and sadness by lying and not really doing my homework and, you know, trying to pretend I had and trying to hide it from everybody, that was... That was a big part of it. So, at the end of it, my upset level was down to zero. And um, I marked it as a successful worksheet. And I thought I would share that today. Here I am, you know, um, fully an adult, you know, at the end of my 70th year, or 69th anyway, I'm pushing, finishing the, the, the decade, and an email comes across in the middle of a busy day, and instead of just dealing with it like, oh, the paperweight's on the wrong side of the desk, or that cup that's too full is sitting too close to the edge of the table, let me move the cup or empty some of the fluid, just dealing with it, I generated all of this extra energy that was negative in my experience of it, and that was completely unproductive. It wasn't helping anything get done. It was you know, literally a drain in my energy system in the middle of a day that I was already saying, I'm so busy, I need my energy. So why was I wasting the energy on the negative emotions? And when I made time to do the worksheet, it was quite fruitful. So that's one of my offerings for the day, that worksheet. And um, it's been a while since I've had one that came out so strongly that I thought, well, I better do a worksheet on that. And so I was um, anxious to share that today.
code 610. Susan? Hi. Well, that was one heck of a powerful thing. And I bet you other people felt the same way, too. If I had gotten that, I mean, my reasons might have been very different from yours. But that is like a universal jab, the fact that that woman said odd. That's like loaded. And I love the work that you did on it, but I could do a worksheet well, but, on you getting <laughs> you getting that okay, email. But, but but listen listen to the way you're talking about it. Right? Yeah. You're you're talking about it as though this event that happened actually jabbed me. Mhm. And it didn't, right? It I know. It only had that impact on me because at that time, in that day, with everything else that I was going on or that was going on with me and and all of my thoughts about all the time and energy I've donated to this not for profit and it it, it it what got generated in me was generated because I chose an interpretation of this young woman's email as saying no matter what I do, it's not enough. Yeah, and that I had it. nothing to do, and that had nothing to do with her just saying, "Oh, that's odd. I've never had anybody not be able to send me that before." And she might be the most pleasant. You know, she might be at her end of, of the spectrum, donating her time and energy to people, and being in the middle of a busy day. And she was just asking for a little help because of blah blah blah. It's not about the outside event. And so please watch when you talk about it. If that's a real jab and that would get anybody, that's just building what David Bohm would call the sustained incoherence, the logical framework that will rationalize my anger. And I think it was just yesterday or the day before that I was reading from the Way of Mastery where it says you'll feel anger, but don't justify it. It's never justified. It's only self-created inside of you, and it's not productive. Right. Just watch well, how when you say it that way. Part in Chapter 14 of Sunberg, he said, you choose this. You choose the intent. Your intent is to see the upside of things while fully aware of other things that may be happening, but you're not going to put your energy there. I'm not saying anything that you've been a good teacher. I agree with you totally what you just said, but there is the possibility of a script behind the word odd. If she fleshed it out, who knows what it been in there, but my imagination can go wild with a with a word like that. It's like somebody, I'll write something, a text, and I'll get an answer, wow. And that happens with my grandson, Jacob. He'll say, wow. And what he is doing, and I know him well enough, is he is feeling like I am totally out of line, off the wall, crazy, abusive, mean, whatever he does. That's the script, the silent script behind his wow and with a word like odd, with no follow-up, it invites 
whether you run with it or not, it might not affect a healthier person. Granted, I, I have a whole ready-made pile of scripts that I could run when I see something like a short retort like that or comment without any explanation on it. It's just it's just interesting and, and worksheet worthy. I'm not saying she did anything just the way you say she didn't do anything. Right. But I'm now you seem mad at me for... No, no, no. I'm what? just trying to highlight. I'm not mad in the least. You used the word mad. I didn't use the word mad. I'm using it as a teaching thing to say, just notice how when you say that's a real jab and that would get anybody going or whatever, that it's externalizing the cause. And it's it's saying that all events aren't neutral. Certain events are real uh, emotion producers. And so I'm just trying to highlight, if you say mm-hmm. it that way, that's a real jab and that, that thing, when somebody would do that and it, that real, you know, tart response or whatever, it's just implying, if not saying directly, that the outside event is causing the upset. And that leaves me trapped and a victim of the outside event. I, I agree. Just trying to highlight. On the other hand, you get a you get some kind of a cultural this is kind of a cultural thing that's happening right now. There'll be a one-word answer like that, which in our culture often means thing negative, an implication of this unhappiness or disagreement. Dissatisfaction. But it just right. puts dissatisfaction, yeah. And it's just a cultural phenomenon. Can't I observe that and say, wow, I see that happening here and i see how culturally these just this way of communicating which is kind of non-communicating uh is a thing which we take it is a thing and then we yeah And, and take note of it and after i intervened and said notice how you're using the words you described it much more neutrally Right? You said, here's the blank screen phenomenon. Right? If, if you send a text to somebody and they don't give you any response or they give you just a one-word response you don't understand, that's a blank screen for you to project onto. What do mm-hmm. most of us, because of our conditioning in this culture, project onto those blank screens? Negative right. stuff. And yeah, you described and the writer it that way. of the negative thing knows that too. Or the writer of the neutral or impartial or only partial thing may or may not know that. They cannot know what I have in me that's negative that I will project onto that screen. Remember Michael talking about Yeshua when his disciples tell him, hey, you know, wipe these people out. You've got the power. And Yeshua says, I have none of that in my store. In mm-hmm. other words, from Michael Rice's perspective, Yeshua is saying, I've dismantled all of my hate and fear, my anger and fear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So but that's all we're trying to point it, out. Most of us 
Most yeah. of us have plenty of hostility and fear in us, and most of us have been trained to project that onto that blank screen, but that's all an inside job. That's all I'm saying. And this this whole situation, I might have been raised, and I, I certainly was raised, in a in a generation that said that was unprofessional and um, terse and, mm-hmm. um, you know, not very good communicating. Right? I can sit here with those labels and those descriptions, those judgments, and yet I can interact with her when I interact with her from a place of complete calm acceptance. And I can point out that this was a busy day for me and I would have loved to clarify more what you meant when you said odd or why you need or why you were wanting me to send a, a, a Google mm-hmm. calendar invite. I can do all of that without the anger. Yeah. I probably won't get any of that done if I sit in my anger. If I sit in my, here's a more accurate way to say it, if I sit in my wounded emotional energy that I've been carrying since I was nine years old. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. If I'm, if I'm functioning from my nine-year-old overwhelmed, wounded self, this interaction that happens between me and another adult today is probably not going to go so well. Mm, yeah. Well, but the whole thing. It takes Go ahead. An amazingly whole and well person to be able to take the odd or the wow and see it as neutral when they may, in part of their mind, be aware of the sort of cultural, possible culture, probable cultural intentions behind that word. It just, it takes, it's sort of like having done the worksheet before it happens. And you had to do it after it happened. And I obviously would have had to do it after because I'm not neutral. I'm just not neutral yet in all things. Well, um, part of me wants to um, point out that either you're saying you have to be amazingly healthy and strong before you can do that, or you're saying that I'm already that healthy and strong. And what I'm pointing out is that to do what we're talking about, to recognize that I generate my emotions and to practice that. So it's not like I have studied every possible thing that could happen that right. I used to interpret as negative and I'm ready for it. It's yeah. more that I look for within myself the early warning signs 
that I have been triggered, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's almost as though you're trying to say in, in what you just finished saying that I didn't get triggered by this, and no, I'm trying I'm to highlight. That. I'm trying to highlight the opposite that I definitely got triggered, and once I'm triggered, having been introduced to these tools and studied the dynamics of how my thoughts generate my emotions, etc. Now I've got something I can do that's different than what I would have done 20 years ago. Yeah, I understand. And I'm probably going to and do I, it even more efficiently than I would have even five years ago. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't think you were triggered because you just told us about a worksheet you did. So right. it was very clear that you were triggered. Right, but notice what you were saying about how it would take somebody who is so strong and healthy, and I'm just trying to say that's not the case. It, it, it doesn't take somebody who's so strong and healthy to do this work. It takes somebody who needs to get stronger, who just got triggered, who's just like everybody else, but who's been exposed to this and can catch the warning signs and train myself to do something differently rather than the pattern of reactivity that I was conditioned into. So the more I do this, the more I'll move toward, and in a never-ending journey, the more I'll move toward the kind of thing that you were saying it takes to do that. Yeah. But I don't need to be there to do that. I need to be taking the steps on that journey to move toward that. Mm. The same well, kind of thing of happened. Go-, go ahead. Go ahead. The same kind of thing happened in the interview with um, Laura McGowan, and she said, "You know, it would take a really—I forget what she said—but a really PhD level. That's a PhD level thing to be able to do." And I, I, I said almost the same kind of thing there. No, if I was going to live in that ability, constantly aware of this, every moment of every day, that would be the PhD level thing. But I don't have to be there every moment of every day to start practicing doing that, to catch it when I fall off of that. Mm -hmm. In that, that I practice and develop the skill and strengthen the thought patterns and I'm moving toward that more loving, flexible, fluid, gratitude-based experience of life. I don't just get there because I read a book or I did a few worksheets. I remember being very impressed by a young boy in elementary school who was standing near me and somebody came up to him and did something. I don't know what they did. But it was, it could have been taken by him as hurtful, insulting, whatever. The kid turned more me, toward me and smiled this little smile and shrugged and said, Well, you can't win them all. And I thought he was an enlightened boy. He, just, <laughs> he didn't take it seriously. He didn't accept the insult. He didn't see it as an insult. He just, shrugged and smiled and I thought boy I mean I didn't use these words back then but I thought I you are the most impressive kid because my hackles would have gone up 12 inches 
with points <laughs> on the end of them. And, Remember, and here he is just what? Please, please don't please don't take offense, even if it's offered. <laughs> I missed something. You have I've got a bad connection, and every so often part of a word disappears. So could you say what you said again? I said, remember the, the, the adage that I came up with a while ago that says, please don't take offense, even if it's offered. There it is. That's it. That is it. That, that little boy totally. was doing that already. Yeah, he was. I've never forgotten him. Isn't that amazing? I don't even know his name. But he was like a model for how to be in the world. Man. Well, that's exactly, exactly, because I started texting you. When you read that note, the word odd, I started texting. I would have felt that way, too. I was letting go with all this reactivity, and then I thought, no, I don't need to send that. We'll just, maybe I'll go on the radio show after, but that's it. So, Well, you, and the it that you're talking about now is the awareness that you could benefit from doing that worksheet. Yeah, totally. Because because you started to get agitated and think about <laughs> I know. texting. Yep. When, you know, some know. Uh, sound waves hit your ear and you interpreted <laughs> it a certain way. I know. I, I heard the woman on the saying... Okay, go ahead. I've turned on the microphone for somebody else here. Let's see if they can get in. Area code 847. We have the spinning wheel. I wonder if we're being heard. We may have technical difficulties on Blog Talk. Yeah. Hi, Tim. Can you hear me? You got in. Hi. Is this Mary? Hi, it's Mary. Hi, Susan. Yeah, I, I couldn't resist. Hey, hi, Mary. Long like time no hear your voice. <laughs> yes. Oh, I'm listening. I'm just, I, I started a job, so I can't always have the time, but I couldn't resist this one. Um, I'm so, I was so with you, Susan. I'm going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I think it, it sometimes it feels like when you say this, that like there's an implication that we're supposed to forget it, and if somebody violates like a, a huge cultural norm, that we we just let it go, like we forget it, like wipe it out of our mind. But you know, it, it's like I totally understand getting rid of the anger, but you know, it, unless you can talk to that person and and find out what was going on, I I feel like there's a protection that's required in society that you you just go, well, I'm just going to watch that one, you know, or like Dr. Rice says, there's always a there's always consequences, you know, for what people do. It's not like it's everything is accept. It's not acceptable always. But my first reaction is not the way to go either. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, uh, yes, I I don't plan to to do nothing. I plan to address it with her. Right. And right. Right. For me, way it would be I like address I'm just it, gar- with I'm her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the way I address it with her will be light years different. Yeah. After I've done a worksheet like yeah. this, than exactly. it would be. Right. Even yeah. if I was I trying to. I think some people in, the, in our group. 
Yeah, some people in group have taken it, you know, stuff when we talk about this, but like, oh, I'm just supposed to forget about it and let anybody get away with anything. But that's not like really what you're saying. <laughs> not at all. I mean, and I'm, I right. have the whole, um, the whole situation of uh, thoughts that were going through my head ever since this happened about how am I going to handle this? How much tapping am I going to have to do before I get on the interview <laughs> with this person, et cetera? How do I want to guard my thoughts so I don't say this or that in a nasty way? And now, as I said, when I did the the worksheet, the pressure is off. That's so good. Hmm. And I, I, I will have to say or do something. Yeah. Right? It's just going to be so much more fluid and probably in alignment with the way I would like to behave now that I've done this and I'm no longer being driven by the wounded emotional energies from my nine-year-old self. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay, cool. All right. Thank you, guys. I'm, I'm listening. I can't always talk, but uh, it's always so fun to listen to you, too. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Glad you think so. Blessings. I'll mute you so you can listen in. <sighs> yeah, it is the, the way we have things outlined, it is quite difficult to sort it out because we're also, you know, we have this whole set of training about right, wrong, good, bad, up, down, you know, so you're either blasting somebody or you're you're giving them the message that it's perfectly okay that they stomp all over you. And it it's not the way it works, right? There's all kinds of other ways mm-hmm. for me to respond. Once I dismantle that negative emotional energy. Do you picture doing it by getting, you know, finding out what she intended by I guess I'm, I, I should start by saying a statement. If I were going to talk to her, I would start by saying, by apologizing and saying, you know, this is probably very easy for most people, but I've never done that Google Calendar thing, and I gave it some time and found out it was just beyond me for the time I had, and I apologized for not being able to um, do what you needed because I realized it would have made your life easier. I would have kind of pushed myself down a little bit so that she might feel freer to tell me what she meant by the word odd. Okay, and you can do it that way. You don't have to. Mm -hmm. You don't have to apologize, especially when... It isn't really honest to apologize when you don't believe you've been in error. That's true, Dr. Tim, and I'm confessing here. But I would be very interested. If you haven't arrived yet, I would love to hear how you did handle it when you do handle it. Well, I but need the point is, sort of the... I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm going to give you the outline, right, that I use. Yeah. I describe it from my perspective okay and so i sent this thing that said the short answer is no and i will talk to you about it on thursday so 
So now Thursday comes, and I will open the conversation with, sorry for the cryptic, I I even did this since then in in an email, since she came back with the odd business. I said, Mm -hmm. you know, sorry for the cryptic message, instead of just, I didn't have the time to, to answer more deeply. And then lay it out from my side. It was a busy day. I don't know how to do this. I spent 15 minutes trying to learn. I was unable to, and I didn't want to leave you hanging. So that's why I just said the short answer is no, and we can talk more on Thursday. Now it's in her court. Yeah, she can. That was good. Talk to me up about what's going on with her. Why she said odd, or why she felt she needed that, etc. And and or not, but depending upon whatever kind of connection or relationship develops between me and her, I may or may not address one-word email. Right? I see. Cause it may not be my job to teach her anything. I'm not her father. I'm not her coworker. I'm not her boss. And you I'm not are her And you're clear enough, having done the worksheet, that you don't want or feel you need anything more from her in the way of an explanation of what your... No, that's really good. I'm not there yet, even in my thinking. I can understand how you could be there, but congratulations. (laughs) Uh, Well, like I said, the pressure is off. There's no sense in me that's still trying to make sense of why would she say that. Yeah. Because the pressure is off. I understand Mm -hmm. how I interpreted it so negatively, and I'm currently not doing that anymore. So I don't need, you know, any input from her to validate or to straighten it out. That is so good because what you've done is become neutral, even though, as you said before, even when an insult may or may not have been intended, that doesn't bother you. That isn't on your screen anymore. Exactly. And, you know, For all I know, it's as innocent as breathing because people her age and everybody else that she's dealt with, they all use Google Calendar and they all trade these things and they have no problem saying, you know, oh, gee, that's weird. Everybody else does it. Okay. And she moves on. And she may not think that she's offering any offense whatsoever. Yeah. The truth is the only offense I'm feeling is the offense I am generating. Got it. Right? Whatever offense, remember the adage, please don't take offense, even if it's offered. Mm -hmm. She might be offering offense, but if she does, that's not why I'm feeling offense. Even if she was intending to be insulting, just like the little boy in the example that you brought up, somebody said something to him, maybe even trying to insult him or make him feel bad and he just said um no thanks yeah you can't win them all yeah i have a nice day planned <laughs> that's, that's the good. point 
that's the cutting edge. But it's the cutting edge that's available to us every time we do a worksheet process with the understanding, and this is another reason that over the years when I've been in the support groups and things, I recommend that people read every word on the worksheet process because it's like peeling off another layer of my conditioning or brainwashing from my culture and my family because it's reminding me, listen, the truth is my reality is strictly internal, it's unique to me, and it's created out of my own thoughts. The truth is anytime I have a, an angry or fearful response to something, that means I'm using the wrong information or a negative interpretation for the right information. And yeah. the more I get aware of that and practice heightening that awareness, the easier it is to bring it to mind immediately after I've been triggered and take a breath and turn the focus inside and refuse to react as though I've been offended and mm-hmm. react, act, choose an action based on the knowledge that I have created an offense within me. Mm-hmm. Good. So, thank you for the call and um, helping me sort out a little bit more of the details of the worksheet that I did. And, um, as always, it's a pleasure chatting with you. I echo what Mary was saying about how it's... Uh, uh, entertaining and educational when you call. <laughs> That's, I couldn't make out her words. There was a lot of static, so I didn't hear her very well. I think that's blog talk, or maybe it's my phone. Do you hear any static on your end? I did not hear a lot with her, no. Okay. I hear it with you now as you're talking, but I was tempted to hang up and dial in, but I didn't want to miss because you were already talking about the need for a worksheet and what had happened, and so I just stayed on. But anyway. All right. Well, I thank you for for the call and the input, and um, I will mute you so you can listen to the rest of the show. Blessings, and I will remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. And I'll welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Chan. Appreciate it. You're very welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show. Thank you. So welcome, uh, welcome everybody to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Wednesday, April the 19th, 2023. And their calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And I will welcome Michael. And I will say the person you're expecting to call in is not on the switchboard yet. Okay. Thank you, dear heart. So welcome, everybody. Delighted and honored that you're here as we move forward with this conversation about first century Aramaic forgiveness and the correlated tools, corollary tools that uh, move us in the direction of truly functioning as we're designed to function as human beings. So delighted that you're here. And uh, several years ago, we actually spoke in South Florida at uh, a center of a a friend that, oh, gee, 
Hmm. Went back to the early 80s. Yeah, I guess it was the early 80s in Atlanta, someone that I worked with in South Florida. And so uh, we had been speaking at her center, and a young lady had contacted us, and she's written a book, Olivia Benson, on uh, dealing with uh, father issues. The title of her book is For the Love of My Father, A Spiritual Guide for Women Healing from the Absence of a Father in in the Age of Spiritual Evolution. So Olivia had written this book, and actually when she was writing it, it contacted us and asked if she could use some of the ideas that she had uh, interacted with us from when we were in South Florida. And uh, so we had a conversation about getting on the show and just talking about what she's doing with her book and what she's, how she's integrating the forgiveness process into her work. So hopefully Miss Olivia is on the line. Is she with us, Jean? Uh, yes, she is. So seven eight six. Up. Well, okay. Seven eight six. You're on the end. Can you hear me, Doctor Rice? Well, hello, Miss Olivia. I can hear you loud and clear. Glad you're here. I did a brief introduction of your book yes. and what we're going to be talking about. So I'm excited to see where the conversation goes. Just, uh, just what's going to happen. Absolutely. If you could see me, you would see that I'm all smiles, just absolutely smiling because in in case I haven't said it before, which I probably have, but, you know, um, that was so many years ago when you first came down to South Florida and you you were doing your rounds and you visited uh, Universal Truth Center with the book, with your book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And I was just at the very beginning, first few years of of my spiritual journey. And that book was such an eye-opener for me. And, um, you know, the idea that things were, one of the concepts, that things were happening in my life over and over again because basically, let's just say, I was attracting it. Right. um, Oh, my God, I'm involved in my life. What a a radical idea, right? (laughs) Yes, it's me, it's me, you know. Um, That was the beginning of of a very important aspect, which, of course, then led into forgiveness. And, you know, I know we're talking about my book, but for those people who are listening, I think, you know, there's some books that are absolutely timeless and can be helpful um, at any point in your life, if you're really looking for genuine healing, and I think that your book is one of those books, why is this happening to me again? Well, thank you for that acknowledgement and for using it. And then uh, I'd be excited to see how it has evolved in your work that you used some of those ideas and, and what you've done with it. You know, when, as you mentioned, that, that idea that, you know, I'm involved in my life or, you know, maybe I'm attracting this. Uh, that that part of the conversation for me has kind of evolved into the fact that uh, almost everyone, by virtue of the fact that we're born into this world, the way the world is working at this point, we're, by the age of four or five, we are all card-carrying members of the one world religion of blame. 
You know, there's a lot of conversation about, oh, the satanic one-world religion is coming. Excuse me. The satanic one-world religion has been here from the beginning. Go back and listen to, uh, to uh, you know, the conversation in the Garden of Eden where, you know, the conversation is about, about how God's at fault. God, that woman you gave me, it's God and the woman, yeah. according to Adam. Yes. And uh, and that's, right. that idea has just been put through virtually all the cultures of the earth and uh, definitely is a big piece of the puzzle that needs to be reversed. Mm-hmm. Got to quit absolutely. that church. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's so much more. And, and, you know, now that you say that, when I first started on my spiritual journey in New Thought, and I don't know uh, if you know this, but I grew up as a, first of all, I was baptized in the Catholic Church. I then, my mother at some point then became a Jehovah's Witness, and there was a significant middle part of my life there where I was a very serious Jehovah's Witness, and then when I came to South Florida, I went to a very conservative Christian uh, school, Baptist, we would say, and so... um, I, in, in, in that whole process, you know, had sort of felt like I was addressing the issues that I might have had, but eventually I came to realize that, you know, though you can be a part of a religion or a religious group or whatever, and that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to be addressing your issues or healing to your issues. Uh, for some people it can, but it doesn't absolutely make it so. And then when I come into what we'll call as a general, let's just put a general category of new thought, one of the saddest things I heard was like, like I'm responsible. They didn't say that in those words, but in other words, you are the the core of what's happening in your life. Now, at, right after that, I heard that. Then I heard, you are it, but you also, if you have the power to create, let's say, this dysfunction in your life, you have the power to undo it. And that's the exactly. most empowering part. The, the most empowering part. I'm so with you 100% happened, in that. Yeah. So what happened was that I was doing my life very challenging circumstances. My dad left when, you know, when I was six years old. My, I, it, as I describe it in the book, my mom and my dad had what I call the War of the Roses and, and the family going mm. in. And it was just pretty much an absolute horror. I cannot even... The things that um, that happened, we don't even have enough time to get into it. But the good news is that I sort of didn't really think about that. I was a very optimistic kind of personality, and I just kept moving forward and trying to do different things and going on with my life. But then came a moment where I realized that certain things were happening, for example, very easily, with, which I believe a good proportion of women who are what I what I call fatherless or who've had an absent father or have had a bad relationship with their father, a good proportion of them right. have issues in relationships because there's some, you know, some programming that maybe has gone askew. So I didn't really think about it, but then came a point where, you know, I was married and then divorced, and then I started to realize that even though I had sort of continued to push through the experiences and push through life, 
there was still some work that needed to be done to sort of clear out. And that's about when I got into, you know, some of the New Thought teachings and Universal Truth Center and came across your book and a couple of other books, which aside from mentioning your book specifically, I mentioned um, as well um, some of the other teachers that were very important. And one of them, and you might be familiar with her, is Edwin Gaines, who does a lot of work on forgiveness. Yes, and she wrote the foreword to the book. And she was, you know, right directly to forgiveness. And um, I found that that was a key, and it still is a key for continuing to heal my life. Definitely the core of the whole solution. And, of course, to do that, one has to start to look inside at those places that most people live their lives avoiding and not wanting to deal with. And one of my, my, one of my favorite uh, sections in the scriptures in regard to this point is the the space where there are a large group of disciples with Yeshua and, you know, they basically say, well, what do we need to do to stay on the good side of the creator? What, what, what needs to happen? And Yeshua tells them and half of the disciples literally get up, leave. And as they're leaving, their statement is too hard a saying. In other words, it's too hard to look in here and deal with this in order to clean up my life. And literally, they left and never came back. And I think that's the faction of so-called Christianity that created the story that, well, there's nothing you can do. You're hopeless, helpless sinner. You just have to let him do it. And, you know, you go back and listen to that. I wasn't what he was suggesting. He's saying, there's a work to be done, and you better get to work, or resolution's never going to happen. And so it's a, it's definitely challenging to look at the unresolved dramas and traumas, not only of our own childhood and our own relationships with parents especially, or authority figures, mm-hmm. but the generational patterns come into play as yeah. well. You know, you look at that statement that says, you know, the, look to the lives of the fathers, plural, i.e. not just mm-hmm. direct, you know, genetic parent, but grandparent, great-grandparent, great-great. Look to the lives of the previous generations for ours are but a shadow of theirs upon the earth. And if we don't deal with that, then, of course, the shadow, because we are created beings, we just keep creating out of the same shadow experiences, refusing to go inside and deal with those things. It's a tough job. Absolutely. It It is a super challenging job. And unfortunately for most of us, it almost has to be a situation where we are, you know, up against the wall, where there is no other option we feel, and we are now, you know, in a place where either we do it or we will live in what I call anyway perpetual sort of a a state of perpetual suffering. And for myself, I felt that when when I came to New Thought in general, I mean, I was like, oh, no, there has got to be something better. There has to be another answer. This cannot be the life I'm intended to live forever with this sense of, uh, I, I don't know where I got this from, but what I call existential dread. Like, you know, you get up in the morning and your stomach is just bubbling because, you know, 
you don't know what's going to happen next, and you have nothing to hold on to. And particularly, you know, since we're talking about the book, you know, when you grow up, and I said this recently in one of my YouTube videos on, um, on my YouTube channel, if you're a girl or a woman and you grow up without a father and maybe without an uncle, in my case, none of my uncles were around, and no male figure, right? You kind of have, you grow up with what I, well, I said it on the video, I said you grow up hard, meaning that you know for a fact that there is no male figure that is going to show up and save you. You have to be able to, and before you know what God is and before you get to know God, you think you have to fix it yourself. You have to do everything. And that creates sort of an edge, some anxiety. For some women it plays out as anger because they're sort of always waiting for the next, shoe to to drop and so in my case i get to the point where i go listen i cannot live like this forever with my nerves on edge anxiety i i really i know i can't depend on my father i know i can't i don't have an uncle that would show up for me there has to be something more and the more was ultimately getting to know God, getting to know God, not to know about God, but getting to know God as the essence of who I am and knowing that even when it looks like I'm alone, I'm really not alone at all, that God is present, that God is guiding, that God can be my daddy. God is my daddy, which is a statement that I, that I use for myself from time to time. God is my daddy, and as you know, Jesus is, is quoted somewhere as saying Abba, which is, I believe, a Hebrew or an Aramaic word that they use to refer to daddy in a kind of an, a very close way. And so I say, God is my daddy. And that gives me that sense of connection with the divine within. And now you're not just sitting here in the world adrift, right, by yourself because you have no physical presence of a daddy or an uncle or whatever the case might be. But the the great part about that is that if you're a woman who comes into the world and has this experience where you don't have a biological father present, present in your life or you have a bad relationship with your biological father, whatever the case might be, once you get to understand that there's a reason for your experience and that experience is intended, generally speaking, to make you stronger, to make you grow, and that God is present with you at all times and will help you through. Now, you're not a hapless, helpless victim of the circumstances. And there's great hope in right. that. For sure, for sure. Now, I had gone looking for you on YouTube, and I mm-hmm. could only find Olivia Benson of CSI, I couldn't find your channel, so maybe you could tell our audience, especially if there's anyone that's particularly uh, interested in the the approach you're taking to the conversation, how they can get to your YouTube channel and watch any videos that you have. Yes, well, because I did a search and it didn't show up. 
Thank you for asking that question. What happens is that, of course, Marissa Hargitay is Olivia Benson, but I am Olivia S. Benson, and I have to use the S, and if you put Olivia S. Benson, then you will find me. Olivia uh, okay. S. Benson. Yes, and also cool. Olivia Benson is, is, is Taylor Swift's cat, a very rich cat, but nonetheless. She's Olivia Benson. <laughs> so I, I, yeah, I try okay. to make, you know, I think she's in Taylor Swift's will. That's that's what I heard. A few people sent me emails like, did you see Olivia Benson, Taylor Swift's cat is in the will? But um, just look for me everywhere as Olivia S. Benson. Okay, there you are. Good. Good. Well, everybody will be able to capture that. And uh, I'm in full agreement that relationship with father is such a key. In fact, you know, you look at it, I, I do a video uh, on the importance of that commandment that many people think is just a suggestion that one should honor one's father and one's mother and that there's a really practical purpose and reason for that commandment and that is that for most people their initial relationship with either mom or dad is a pain, or for many people it's a painful one and if they never resolve that pain, then always the underlying unconscious darkness or dynamic that hasn't been resolved is going to come into play, you know, with relationships with dad. If that was a, a trauma, is going to play out in, in terms of creating our perception in relationship to dad. And, of course, if it was mom, it will be creating traumas in relationships with, with women. And that when uh, it's interesting that uh, I make the point there that I find interesting at least that the command is given that not that we need to love our neighbor or love God, but that commandment in Aramaic speaks about living as the space of active love when you think of creator, when you think of neighbor. And then in Aramaic, what that says is in order to maintain self, that we get to maintain our true created essence, our true human life, when we stand as a space of love, no matter who we think mm -hmm. about. And, and so that's a command that's mm -hmm. given for everybody except for one group of people, and that's parents, and it takes it to the next level. It doesn't say love. It says honor. And honoring mm -hmm. is bringing that state of being, that state of love, into action toward parents. And the practical aspect of it energetically is when we do that, literally, in order to extend love, behavior based in love toward a parent, that energy has to pass through us and heals the part of us that holds parental traumas. So it's such an mm -hmm. important, it's not just a suggestion, it's like this is how we heal from relationships that are often traumatic and, you know, often become what I like I call in our codependence work, our power person. So, so you certainly struck on it there. That's exactly true. It's so powerful. Yeah, it is. And very important point. And I know a lot of people, a lot of women, and I mean, obviously we're, I'm speaking from the perspective of a woman, but obviously there's so many males out there without their fathers and they have similar trauma. And all the things that I'm saying are generally applicable as well. But one of the things I'd like for anybody who's listening is, and listen to what you said, there's another aspect to it. The, it says honor your parents, right? And the thing is that 
we have to, even if you can't have a relationship with that parent, for whatever reason, you can't have it. But we honor the fact that pursuant to the order of the universe, you came into the world through these two people. And we honor that. That is the choice some would say that we made, right? If you, there, you, if you know the, the belief system where you choose your parents when you right. come into the world, we honor that decision. That doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be best buddies, you're going to, everything's going to be great, I don't know. Forgiveness will intercede, and, and we'll get to that in a minute. But the bottom line is that you honor them as the vehicles through which you came into the world. And that's a very difficult and challenging thing to do sometimes because some parents have done some very horrific things. But honoring them as parents doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be best buddies with them. It means that you're not going to, you know, a lot of people want to argue with their parents and tell them off and, you know, all the things that you could do on a basic level. That might not necessarily be honoring them. But being even sometimes being able not to say the things that you would like to say to them, that in and of itself might be honoring honoring them. And then needless right. to say that, you know, and I think what, what turned it around for me most with forgiveness was once I understood that the challenges, the traumas, the experiences, all of those things were energies that were being stored inside of me and that the only way that I was going to be relieved and my burden would be lightened would be if I was able to release those traumas from myself. And as I began to actually do the work, the exercises, because that doesn't just happen like, you know, snap your fingers and it happens, but as you begin to do the work, you can actually feel yourself becoming lighter and less angry and less um, anxious. So your parents might have done whatever they did, but now the issue and the trauma and the negative energies are all in you. That's and it. Not, even if you're, and even if they wanted to help you, even if they changed their who they were, they could not remove that trauma from your body unless you do it. You have to do it to be clean again. Precisely. I'm, I'm with you 100% on that. And interestingly, in the Aramaic language, that word honor, as it's used in that particular commandment, is mm-hmm. would be defined as to bring love into action toward. That it's an action mm-hmm. thing that honoring parents, mm-hmm. it's actually taking a step. In, and, and in fact, the quote-unquote worse they were, the more important it is to do it because that's how you get to process through and remove the energetic patterns that are stuck in the body, in the mind, in the emotions. And, of course, the, the forgiveness process is about removal. So, Yes, yes, yes. It's, it's you know, I have a cup. I have a, a website. It's, it's oliviasbenson.com. And one of, the, one of the chapters of the book 
is forgiveness, a pill to take like your life depends on it. And um, the cup which and the T-shirts and all that kind of stuff. And the cup says forgiveness, a pill to take like your life depends on it. And, um, you know, I, and I say this in the book, you know, I went to church my whole life. I was, I was churchified. That's how I call it. I was churchified and I was a church girl and I like going to church. You know, I like getting dressed and going to church on Sunday and all those kinds of things. And I had heard about forgiveness, but I did not understand that, you know, this is something that is going to remove energies. And, and this is how I explain it. We, for me, you come into the world, you're an innocent bundle of pure light. Experiences happen, and they're sort of the experiences, difficult, challenging, dark experiences are like blankets that are laid on that light that you are internally. And until you get to forgiveness, you don't remove those blankets. Forgiveness allows you to remove the weights that you have accumulated based on your life experiences and the things that have happened. And as you do the work, you feel the relief of those blankets or that weight of life, the dross of physical life being removed from your body and sort of restoring you to being that light, that bundle of light that came into the world. And as you become that light, you come more and more in line with the energy of God. Now your vibrational frequency is more in line with the energy of God. And that is the reason that as people begin to clean up and begin to come into vibrational alignment, they begin to manifest and express more and more in line with the divine. I'm with you 2,000%. 2,000. I, I think that 2000. is a compliment. <laughs> Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Well, I, you know, if I remember correctly, the um, when you were writing your book and you asked if you could use one of the ideas from my book, it was, if you're in pain, you're in error. And what oh. out of all that you had interacted with from my work, what about that phrase really, I, I don't know, opened a space for you or, or what, what made that yes. the important line to put in your book? Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, we come to the planet and it's it's kind of like you land here and you're a, like you're an alien, right? As a baby, you're an alien. You really don't yes. know anything <laughs> about anything and you have to be sort of trained into the human system, so to speak. And um, in my life experience and, you know, there's so many stories in the book, very difficult um, situations that happened that we don't have time to get into, but there had been an accumulation of just heartfelt pain and um, things that many times, you know, because when when you're younger, you sort of like things happen and you keep running, so to speak. You could be shot. It's like you're shot and you keep running, right? because you just pretend like it didn't happen, and I don't mean a, a physical shot, but you understand what I mean. It's a, it's a blow. Right. You get a blow, and you kind of get up, and you keep, keep running. And there have been so many things that had happened to me. And I know that there are people out there that are listening that 
you know, might think, oh, it's just me that, oh, this happened to me and this happened to me and this happened to me and nobody knows all the different things that I've been through, but it's just a continuous accumulation of blows. Well, eventually it got to the point where there was pain. And I talk about in the book that I might think my friends think that it's funny because I talk about suffering. Like, listen, if you don't get this, you're going to suffer, right? There's some things that you need to know. Otherwise, you will continue to suffer. So when I saw that statement and everything that was written in the book about it, I said, if you're in pain, you are in error, error thinking, right? So now if you come into alignment with right thinking, that means that you can eliminate your pain or reduce your pain or heal your pain. And that was the thing about it. If you are not thinking right, you will continue to suffer. And that's and Right, and and there is so, when you understand that, there's so much totally and completely unnecessary suffering in the world because people, well, of course, once again, you know, born into the one world religion of blame, it's all somebody else's fault. And until I can recognize it, it's not that I'm to blame for it, it's that I'm carrying this energy around and it's time for me to work through it and let it go. So that suffering is unnecessary if one understands that it's self-inflicted. I I like to use the an acronym SIN, self-inflicted nonsense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, We do mm -hmm. it to ourselves generation after generation. Yes, and and you see, it's, it's kind of it's it's kind of challenging because you know, like you come into the world, nobody tells you this stuff, and and like you were saying earlier, sometimes people, uh, the the disciples who got up and said, oh no, this is too much, but and I don't know what it takes for each individual to get to that place, right, where they're willing to do the work, but for me, it was clear, I had had enough, and I was willing to do the work that was necessary, I would go to every seminar, read every book, go to every workshop, listen to anything that I thought was going to give me some insight that about life, about understanding God and about understanding how the universe works that would take me out of error thinking. And I'm not sure what it takes for everyone to get to that point, but I would like to assure you that if, assure anyone listening, that if you find yourself in a situation where you're having all of these challenges, I'm, in my particular case, the book is about having the issue of an absent father or a bad relationship with your father, but if you're at a place in your life where you are seeking healing, if you are willing to do what it takes, there's no guarantee how it's going to happen because everybody's individual. But if you're willing to do the work, you're willing to get to know God for yourself personally, there is hope and there is healing for you. And you can sure. turn your life around and you can be, you can lead, lead an extraordinary life. You can come from the depths of despair and turn it around and be genuinely all that you can be. 
Yay, I'll go with that. I One of my favorite tongue-in-cheek lines in regard to this particular topic is that pain has a very specific purpose, and it makes our ears grow. <laughs> it gets people's yeah. attention. Like, gee, you know, maybe there's something I'm not listening to. And, uh, you know, the universe generally starts out with a little kick and then a push and then a knockdown, and then comes the cosmic two-by-four, and sooner or later enough pain, most people start to go, hmm, maybe there's something I need to be listening to. Maybe I need to actually take yeah. some responsibility and make some changes here. Oh. Absolutely. That's the truth. And nobody can do it for you. And, you know, the experiences that you have or having are significantly and usually what you need in order to grow, in order to grow spiritually, in order to grow in your understanding of God. These are the things that, generally speaking, push us in that direction. And I know that nobody wants to hear that, right? That's like when you say, yeah, it was rough, but, but you, you gain character. You have more character. Nobody wants to hear that, but it's, it's really the reality. The, the challenges are the things that, and if you rise to them and decide to move through them, you will be better on the other side of it. Well, my background is in the arena of electronics and a side study in physics and again one of my other favorite tongue-in-cheek lines is that the purpose of life is to kick us right square in the limitation to show us what we're holding on to and energetically it's like the universe is organized by the law of resonance and no matter where we go even if we take the geographic cure through resonance Somebody's going to find us, and bingo, there's the experience. The why is this happening to me again? And when we really start to listen, it's like, hmm, I've been through this 87 different times with 42 different people, and I'm the only one that was there every time. Maybe I'm involved in my life. I can get off this blame game and get get into doing my work. So delighted that that was a choice that you made to uh, step in and uh, get to work on it and that you're out there supporting others and deepening their experience of the tools for healing. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. I like to say with regard to that point, you know, everywhere, everywhere I go, there I am. You know, it's, like, it's yes. a case of everywhere I go, there I am. Because people move and then they go, oh, maybe it'll be different. And uh, no, it's not, because if, unless you did the internal work to change your energy, to change your, your vibrational frequency, wherever you go, you're going to attract the same exact thing. Precisely. The mm-hmm. geographic here doesn't work. Exactly. Well, exactly. any other specific thoughts, or maybe we'll see if, uh, if anybody is uh, on the, uh, the call that uh, would like to uh, ask you a question. Any other okay. thoughts to express before we invite people to put a hand up? Um, well, just that, um, you know, the, the subtitle is of the book is A Spiritual Guide for Women Healing from the Absence of a Father in the Age of Spiritual Evolution. And I, you know, my prior book, which is Answers from Within, and that one is Answers to Work-Life Issues in the Age of Spiritual Evolution, I just like to emphasize that I think that this is a special time in terms of spiritual growth and spiritual unfoldment for humanity. And, you know, I'm just happy to be able to share what I've learned at this particular time because I think that despite the chaos that it appears to be, I think we are advancing. And I think we all have a part to play 
in that advancement. For sure. For sure. Well, let's check, Ms. C. Do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? If you have a, a question, if you're out there in listener land and you have a question for Olivia, uh, push one and uh, let's have a conversation and see what your thoughts are. So, Ms. Jeannie? It is all quiet on this end. Everything's quiet. Chat room's quiet. Okay. Yep. All right. Well, if you're out there in listener land, and especially if you're on one of those stations where we can't see your call-in number, is 563-999-3581. If you call that number and push 1, you'll be having a conversation with us. And you've got a hand up, Jean? I do. It's area code 480. You're on the air. I think this is Cecilia. Hi, Jeannie. Hi, Hi, Michael. Welcome, young lady. Oh. How are you? I'm, you know, just processing things as I go through life, go through the grocery store, you know, and all the, and, and whatever. I just keep noticing, wow, I got another issue. <laughs> Well, that's the uh, the blessing of starting to do your work. You you start to see with different eyes, and um, yeah, you get to move through those things. Sure. So, so in the last couple of days, when we've had a conversation, and I say that um, uh, restore myself to love, or something to that degree of working through the worksheet, I guess. Um, I hear you say, and I heard it. You say it a couple just a couple times, uh, or when I said get back to my true nature, which is the kingdom of heaven within, and I think I heard you say, well, really, really, it's called the community of love. Am I correct? Yeah, the words that the Greeks translated as the kingdom of heaven more accurately translate out of the Aramaic as the community of love. Yes. Now, okay, so good, I got that. But what I need more clarity on is what the heck is the community of love because the last thing in the world I, I've created is that. <laughs> okay. Well, community. Notice, notice that, you know, we live in a world that tends to bring us into this, as I like to call it, the one word religion of blame, and so everybody's to blame. And when people are being blamed... Uh, even the person that you look at in the mirror and there's blame, then there doesn't tend to be much love present in that community. And so to me, it's an invitation to step up and create that community of love. Choose to be that community within yourself and choose to interact with people from that space. And, of course, modeling, as Olivia's talking about with the absent father, if father wasn't there modeling that space of love, if mom wasn't there modeling that space of love, it becomes a whole different series of skills that needs to be developed because it hasn't been modeled. Most of us do what was modeled for us. And so it can take opening a whole new set of faculties, a whole new awareness to begin to live in and as that space, recognizing who we are, and then to build relationships based in that presence of love. Olivia, do you have any thoughts for Cecilia? Yes, I do. Hi, Cecilia. Hi. I, um, 
I, I gather that, you know, you're, you're deep in your process, and what I'd like to say to you is that as you, from my experience, as you begin, it's almost like you're reconstructing every aspect of yourself. And it's a, it's a challenging process because you're, you're taking down things that maybe you lived on, believed in for a good portion of your life. You have to sort of undo that and then replace new systems. And sometimes it doesn't look very pretty. It, it can look very challenging. It can look, let's just say, very ugly as you go through that process. But you, with faith, you're able to know, and with understanding, you're able to know that even when it doesn't look that good, I'm going through something. And on the other side of that, there is, you know, a new world where you will find the love and the community and all that. But the process itself, it's not, it's not an easy, not an easy thing and often it does not look good. But we learn not to depend on the appearances, to know the, the ultimate truth. I hear you and I, I, I hear that I'm just projecting all of this blame um, that it's all the other person's is, you know, they're projecting on me, but it's really my projection onto, onto life. And um, I guess I just never took it to a level that I'm taking it before. I, I've been in a spirituality um I don't even know what you want to call it. Um, anyway, um, it is. It's you've been on, on the path. On a path, yeah. And and it, it, but this path seems like you're reading their Bible. Seems like you're reading out of a fairy tale book. Okay, there's nothing about feeling pain. There's nothing about. Uh, and and you know it. It made me feel good. Like I like I was reading myself a, a, a beautiful fairy tale book every time. You know every day. But I didn't. I didn't do what I needed to do, which was own what the thoughts and the feelings that are inside of me, and give up the goal to whatever. And all this, this these other uh, tools. So, so this, this is, this requires um, willingness. Okay, so I have that. I, I guess. Uh, um, but it's it's getting deeper, like. For instance, it's going to sound silly, but to me it's not. I was at the grocery store, and they didn't have the regular seventh-generation, no-chlorine bleach, you know, toilet paper and paper towels anymore, okay? And so I I did get a job about a month ago. Not, No, I didn't get it. I actually was um, explained to them that my hours that I can only work and that I never, they asked if I ever used the cash register, and I said no. And they said, well, we'll, we'll let you train. It'll be three days of training, but they were 10 days apart for only four hours. And it really wasn't training. Nobody taught me how to use the cash register. And the, as a matter of fact, the people that were there that were also workers, they weren't owners, they said, oh, it takes years to understand this cash register. It's a computer, yada, yada. Don't worry about it. You'll get it. So I wasn't worried about it, and what happened is on my 
I didn't even make it to my third day of training, which was in the in the in the period of a month of those three times. I didn't even get to finish my third third day, and she took me aside and she said, "You just look like you're you're I don't you're not really." Um, she couldn't even put words to it, but uh, you know. I put these two, 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 two concepts together of the spirituality where I was taught that I am, we are. Okay, so I realized anything that I'm, I'm just owning that I was, I, of course I was somewhat uncomfortable because I don't know the cash register. And she's like, well, you know what? We can't use somebody who doesn't know the cash register. And she wasn't like... <laughs> And I'm thinking, well, you knew that when I began, and nobody taught me. I didn't tell her. I thought that's just not going to help anything. So I just said thank you, and I went on my merry way. So the grocery store today, they didn't at the healthy store. They had bamboo toilet paper and and paper towels, no chlorine. And and I I started to feel this fear inside of me. I have to go there to get it. You know, because nobody else has it, you know, and they might not even have it because they're not, they're a very small place. They don't have a lot of stock in it all. So I thought, okay, I've got to work through this now because I have to go get it. But then I also happening thought, with your breath. I'll order. Huh? What's, What's happening? happening with your breath right now? Are you breathing? I don't know. Yeah, oh, yeah. I guess I'm not because I'm thinking about it. You know, when I talk about it, like you'd call regulatory speech, I can feel the, I'm not going there. <laughs> I'll order it from Amazon. <laughs> you know, to avoid, I'm, I'm, I'm telling myself, but I'm going to do worksheets on it. I just, I just, this is too hard to walk in there right now, you know, because right. I haven't worked through my issue yet, you know. So that's all I wanted to say. It's a process. It's a process, and it is definitely not Dr. Feelgood. You know, it sounds like perhaps issues of being disapproved of and uh, rejected. And so, you know, how do, how do those issues look like your life? And that would be the next worksheet to do. Yeah, sure. It came up that my family didn't even let me be on the board of directors or, or involved in their company. And when initially I was, when I was younger, they gave me, work that you would give someone who has, um, like, uh, goodwill hires, a lot of people, like, autistic people, I think, and stuff like that. So, you know, it was so boring. I couldn't, and I didn't get paid hardly anything, but the rest of every, my relatives that worked there, they made millions, you know. So, so you know, I, I always blamed them for that, and then, but then I also didn't want to go that road anyway um, and work in, in a machinery dealer. Right. So... So, but you know, it's 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 um, it's it's that I I never I never took it that okay. So with the job, I was I was we're trying to work through it in my head while I'm doing grocery shopping and driving home. Is that um, is that yeah? That's an issue I had with uh, with jobs. You know, I can't even keep a job with my family. <laughs> You know, and as a hairdresser, I used to use my 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 family would want me to cut their hair, but then they'd scream and yell, "God, this is terrible! This is horrible! You're horrible! You do a terrible job!" Ah! You know, and and then I got I got I let that get in my head. So 
for what I was trained as, I, I, my nerves were so bad doing it because I didn't work through any of that. I mean, that was a long time ago. That was before Michael was born. <laughs> well, it, it sounds like uh, probably some worksheets on being honored would be useful to take a look at a deeper okay. level in your mind okay. on that. Yeah. Okay. And you were talking about earlier honoring your parents, which is a whole different level. So I guess that's a whole different level to honor myself than to just love myself, right? Well, honor yourself would be to function out of your true being. And we we, we distinguish between the idea of love being a verb. Most people think it's a verb, something they're going to do to somebody else, something somebody's going to do to them, they're going to get from somebody else or give to somebody else. But the truth is, love is not a verb. It's a state of being. It's who we are. So it's really functioning out of the truth of who we are. That's why the first statement in the worksheet is, you utilize your own name, I, Michael, who am love, to recognize that's what I am. It's not something I do. It's not something I get from someone else. It's what I am. And if... I've brought, been brought up in the world, then I've been taught that, you know, love is something I'm going to get from someone else. And then we tend to substitute approval for love. And if we're not getting approval, then, of course, we feel like we can't function as love. And all of that becomes one of those complexes in mind that needs to be worked through so that we can arrive in our own physiology as the presence of love. You know, if you hold a newborn child... Think about, you know, you mentioned the other day on the show your daughter. Think about the first time you held your daughter and tap into the essence of your daughter. And what word would you use to describe her? I did that exercise the other day, so I'll tell you what happened. My daughter was born dead. almost. Well, she was born without oxygen, so they told me she, she's probably not going to make it. They threw, her, they threw her in the ICU, not in that row. She put her, they put, I didn't even get a hold of her. They put her in the ICU unit. She was in there for almost two months. I wasn't allowed to touch her. If I did touch her, it was in an incubator. I had to have gloves on, and I could only come once a day. And so I finally Mm. got her back. I finally, she was like four pounds. I got got her back two months later, and I begged them to let me take her home because they didn't want to. And uh, it was uh, close to Christmas, and... uh, I did, and when I held her, that's when I could do that exercise of, of, you know, when I held her, I felt complete. I felt love that I had never felt before in my entire life that I could remember. Mm. And so, I mean, as far as um, remembering who I am, I couldn't remember. And through her, I could remember, this is it. This is what I, this is it. This is what I've wanted my whole life. Yeah, and notice if you hold her, if you think about that time in holding her that and ask yourself the question, is she loving me or is she love? You know what? Now I can look back and say she's love. But at that time, the message came to me, I finally have somebody to love and, and, mm-hmm. and I'm, I can love her and she'll love me. And I felt that was like bliss to the maximum. But I still wasn't doing what the exercise is. Is is, is she loving me? No, she was being loved. 
you know. And we're in, we live in a culture that specializes in knocking the experience of love out of us and then sending us out on a mistaken journey to find somebody to love or find somebody to love us. And the real journey is back to finding the truth of who we are. And that's what parents are originally designed for, is to model living as the truth of who we are. I've really had that lesson reinforced with our granddaughter, who's now four, that we take care of two or three days a week. And just realizing that it's about being who we are with these children so that they have the modeling and they have the energetic support for coming into the world as love rather than coming in through a set of false ideas about who we are. The reclamation of the truth of who we are is so important. And of course, the the biggest half or the biggest part of that journey is to collapse the constructs of our mind that say we're something other than love. And that's the forgiveness process, is the removal of those false ideas. So my daughter got the the double whammy. She got me, who was trying to suck the love out of her, you know. Um, She'll love me. I love her, you know, with the false thing, right? And she got a father that never was around and still isn't. And so um, I was listening to the earlier part. And, you know, yes, I choose to work on myself so that I can be that, that space of love and, 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 and send it out there or for, feel, maybe she'll feel it. I don't know. Um, I don't Perhaps. Uh, go ahead. Yeah, per, perhaps uh, getting a copy of Olivia's book and working with your daughter on it since he wasn't around for her. I assume he wasn't around much for you as well. And perhaps the two of you working on that might open another whole space for the family system, especially for the women in the family system. Yes. Um, She hates this kind of work. She knows I do it all the time, and I share things like what I'm currently working on with you. And I go, Michelle, is it over your head again? Because I don't, you know, it's okay. I'm not, I just didn't, you know, if you don't, if you're not getting anything out of the conversation, I don't have to share it. And she'd say, yeah, it's over my head. And, um, but that's okay. Something might sink in. Well, maybe a gift of Olivia's book might, uh, especially with the title, might just open yeah. space. Who knows? Any thoughts for you, Olivia? She's very resistant, though, to talk about that or any issues of her own. Yeah. Well, that's well, pretty I, typical. I just wanted to, to, yeah, it is, especially when you're in pain and things like that. But the only thing I wanted to say, because obviously um, you've had conversations before, but just listening, one of the things that I hadn't mentioned that I thought was super helpful for me with your book from the beginning was the worksheets. And... You know, there were certain worksheets that I had to do many, many times. I would print them out from the, you know, copy them from the book and do them over and over because my mind was sort of, you know, interfering in the process. And so I needed to do it over and over again until I got to a certain point where I was like, ah, okay. Because your mind plays games with you, and your mind actually wants to keep you stuck in the details and in in the problems. But if you 
go past that resistance and keep doing it, doing them, the worksheets, and I'm saying that not just for you, but for anybody that's listening, it's the book and it's the worksheets, and sometimes it's continuing to do them over and over again until you get the clarity that you're seeking. That was the one thing I I had mentioned before. Okay, are you recommending that I do a lot of worksheets before I even dare ask my daughter if she would like to read the book with me? No, I was talking Um, about your work on doctor. The book, you know, you can offer it to her and see how receptive and all those kinds of things. That's a little bit different. Are you talking about your book? Yeah, with regards to your daughter, the recommendation that Dr. Rice made that maybe she would be receptive is one thing. Um, But I'm talking about your work that you were talking about, the the worksheets that we're doing. And I'm saying that when I was doing worksheets, sometimes I had to do them over and over and over again because my mind was in the way. Ten (laughs) times a minute sometimes. Exactly, a racing yeah. mind, all kinds yeah. of insanity just, just rolling mm-hmm. through there, you yeah. know, and it gets in the way of your progress. So that was the only thing that I could observe. Okay, thank you. And you know what else? I talk about God as I understand God, and, and she doesn't have to believe it and everything. She goes, I don't want to talk about Jesus. I don't want to talk about, even though I don't use Jesus either, Michael. I don't. I don't want to talk about anything like that. I don't want to talk about it. And I. And so I'm. I guess I don't talk about it with her. <laughs> I don't know feedback you know, about an idea that an idea that I observe really catches people's attention is, you know, inviting people to notice that the only time they're upset with anyone is when that person violates a goal for them. You know, unless, you know, I usually throw in the thought, you know, unless you're just a generally miserable person, notice you're pretty happy with most everybody as long as they're going along with and achieving all the goals you hold for them. An upset comes forward when someone violates a goal. That can be a powerful opening or introduction to forgiveness. And and you don't have to mention God or Yeshua or religion or anything, just the simple thing of, well, notice if you're holding a goal and somebody violates it, that brings upset for you. And when you cancel that goal, that upset collapses in on itself, and that's a way to start to move out of upset. That can be a simple introduction, a simple way to introduce forgiveness. And, yes, you know, when they said to Yeshua, how many times do I have to forgive us to my brother? Is, is seven times enough? In Aramaic, he said 77 times 70. And so that can be, you know, forgiveness can be that simple an introduction. Well, just notice, watch what happens when somebody's violating a goal. Cancel the goal, take a breath, and watch what happens in your mind. That's a big opening for people. Are you talking about a goal for me or a goal my daughter has that I don't mention God or anything like that ever again? Yeah, either way. I, I, in in any fine. circumstance, I, just explaining you to your daughter, I, you know, okay. just explaining, notice, notice when somebody violates a goal, your okay. mind serves up, up, up upset. And by canceling the goal, you can collapse that upset. That can be a simple, powerful introduction without getting into all the ideas that are resisted. Okay, but does she even know what a goal is, that she even has a goal, or 
Well, you know, that'll be a conversation you'll have to have with her, but uh, I assume that she, you know, knows, gee, I want this from somebody, and, and they're not giving it to me. Now I'm upset, so am I willing to collapse that? Am I willing to cancel that? Okay, and okay. we're down to the last few seconds, and if we Got need it. to thank pick you. this conversation up tomorrow, yes. we'll, say we'll do that. And Olivia, thank you for joining us. Cecilia, nice to be back in conversation with you. Hope you and everybody that's listening have the best year yet of your eternal life, and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.